Welcome, welcome, welcome to our first inaugural episode of Two Confirmations. We are the Block Brothers. Uh, my name is Christopher Porter. And I am Paul Holtz. It's good to be here with you, Chris. I'm excited to uh, be back talking with you about crypto and uh, sharing a coffee with you. Uh, I know we've joked around that uh, we, we talk about Bitcoin and beer, you know, we'll, we'll have a beer together and we do yoga and do all sorts of stuff together. Um, I know I get most excited when I'm talking about uh, Bitcoin and especially when I've, I've had a, a couple of coffees. So, uh, so if so if you're listening and you need to reduce the speed to 0.5, <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> and, uh, stay tuned for uh, episode 10 or episode 200 where we, uh, we do a crypto talk, but instead of coffee, we've had beers. And you can feel free to uh, speed that one up uh, when we do that episode. So who are we and, and how do we get here? Uh, for me, uh, the journey started in 2017 with, with a focus on uh, remittance payments and the idea that, that Bitcoin offered a promise of uh, international payments, that the ability to uh, not use banks, to not have fees when you're transacting money. And, and, and that's kind of, even though I had heard of Bitcoin, I had heard of Ethereum and, and, and looked at it from an investment side of things, I was really just following the charts and reading along until I saw this talk by Andreas Anatopoulos about remittance payments. And it was that social cause that really kind of sold me into, hey, this actually does have a use case in the world. And of course, since then, my, the, the whole exploration to crypto has opened up and, and we hope to take you along for that journey. But that's how I got into it and started talking to you, which I thought was the first time you had heard of it, which was not. But this is back August 2017, we are playing disc golf. I'm like, hey, I just, I just started learning about Bitcoin and you gotta, you gotta, you know, diving into it. And then of course your, your exploration to it started years before. So share, share a little bit more about how you got into this space. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I had been given a little USB Bitcoin miner um, by a friend, Leo, and he was all about it. Like, oh, this is gonna change the world. Here, let, you know, let me give this to you. So I hooked it up to a Raspberry Pi. I had it uh, connected to a mining pool. And uh, back then, if anybody else, you know, was around uh, using uh, Bitcoin back then, it was difficult to set up a wallet. It was difficult to like set up some of these things. So I never did. So I hooked up this Raspberry Pi uh, with this USB miner uh, to a mining pool and, and never did anything with it, right? I left it running for a couple of weeks and then shut it down. Uh, and so the, the, you know, my hash power just went to helping that, that pool. What year was that? Oh, that was in 2013, yeah. So I, I definitely regret that. It would have been a couple hundred dollars at least. So now, yeah, so, <laughs> so now you've resorted to doing a podcast and shilling, <laughs> shilling new projects. Right, right. <laughs> but back then, when I looked at Bitcoin and when I looked at it, uh, just the projects out there, I was convinced that the government was probably gonna shut it down, that it wasn't gonna exist long-term. And then when you started talking to me about it, you know, playing disc golf, and I took another look at it, I realized that it, it had been around that whole time and that uh, my belief was that people had tried to shut it down and it hadn't gotten shut down, right? The news media tried to kind of lambast it and that hadn't worked. Um, I'm sure it was volatile, but 
so when you brought it back up to me, it really solidified for me, this thing isn't going away. As time rolls on, we, we ended up actually where we're recording this podcast today, having a meeting with a local nonprofit, Ben's Bells, about the actually implementation of accepting Bitcoin for a nonprofit. And we're talking the parking lot afterwards. Like we really should, you know, more than just talking about it, more than just uh, engaging others about it, we should maybe, you know, um, build it into our lives, even professionally. And we joked about, hey, we should have a name together. and. And Block Brothers has came out of that, uh, just shooting the breeze. And then we said, you know, no, we're actually onto something here. And and so Block Brothers formed uh, at the moment just you and I um, to uh, engage, educate, give talks, do the podcast, work with businesses, work with nonprofits. And shortly thereafter, we started recording our podcast. We went through an evolution, even our own selves, our own understanding, and here we are relaunching the podcast. Uh, so you as a user, you're getting the best of the best. You're not just getting our, our, our first take, you're getting our uh, second take. And, 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 and hopefully is, is maybe your, um, your first take as, as you listen along. Um, but what, what did we decide to call our, our podcast? Two confirmations. Why is that? Why is that? <laughs> Well, uh, as we've talked about other things, you know, um, like if you go to buy something on Amazon.com and you're just not sure, like, should I get this or not? You know, I, I start going to the comments and to like, what do other people say about this? Do I believe this thing is a good thing? And so I rely on what somebody else has said also, right? So their confirmation of that, that thing. Um, and one of the aspects of Bitcoin is that uh, it takes six confirmations for a transaction to, uh, you, you might say, like to settle, right? Or to, um, to probabilistically like have finality is, you know, the math terms that they would say for that. And so uh, as these projects are coming out and it's maybe unclear, like, is this a good project? Or maybe like, are there elements of it that we don't like about it? Or you know, just kind of unpacking all of the, the crypto space out there, you and I would talk about things and sometimes agree, sometimes maybe disagree on it. And then as we talk, we'd start to come to a, a better understanding and a better resolution of it. And so it, it, our conversations seem to be to echo even the way that Bitcoin is structured, right? To have, having many confirmations leads you to like this kind of truth or this like Final word, like, is this a, a true thing or not? Um, and so uh, there's that, that aspect of uh, by having both of us agree on something, then, it, then we, we think it's more real or it's a better project. Uh, but it also is that uncertainty, right? That uh, without having six confirmations or having lots of people, like one, it's still early in the space, things change constantly. Um, it's exciting and also frustrating that like, you know, Bitcoin and, and many other projects, Ethereum aren't static, like they're constantly changing. And so we might have our opinion of it today, but things are going to change. Um, and so we also want to have that inherent, uh, maybe instability or, or we're not positive. We're not saying, you know, putting a, a line in the sand saying this is how it is. We're just giving our confirmations for how it is right now. For our first season of, of two confirmations, we really are trying to talk about these underlying principles and values that that while they will uh, evolve and will change, that 
they are at least underlying foundational elements. And so as you listen into these first few episodes, that at least these you can always return to and build off of or add your own confirmation uh, or, or start to fork off uh, your own ideas and, 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 and concepts uh, and understanding of, of the space. And one other thing that, that basically led me to really wanting to do this with you is that it's, it's not just this like investment vehicle or like some cool technology, but you mentioned a key there, the underlying principles. And uh, to me, what's exciting is as I've learned about the underlying pr principles of cryptocurrency, it's actually helped me to realize some of the existing systems are broken out there. And I didn't realize, it's almost like if you lived in a monarchy, you didn't realize that it, it, you shouldn't just have power passed down from one person to the next because you know, they had a son and then another son, right? Like, how should we distribute power in a government? Oh, maybe a democracy is better. But you don't know that a democracy is better if, you, if you're not aware of that project, right? Um, and so that, that's something that we want to uncover in all of these podcasts is some of those underlying principles and why it's so exciting to me that it fixes some of the broken things about, I, I don't know if I want to say our society or the, the way things function, that there's a better way. When we thought about where to start and, and what principle matters most or what do we value the most when it comes to these crypto projects in the crypto space, it was the idea of decentralization. It was the idea of what is uh, a broken system. And, and while we could talk about the cryptography, we could talk about the monetary policy, we, we found ourselves always coming back to the decentralization. And maybe you can introduce ourselves to what does that really mean? But for us, that's where we're starting today, um, the idea of decentralization. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, to, to talk about decentralization, I find it easy to think about on the other side of the spectrum, what is centralized. Um, so uh, a bank is centralized. Um, if I think of so many things that I use on the computer, like Facebook is centralized. Uh, and another term for that centralization would be a trusted third party. So uh, Facebook, you know, when I sign up for it, I'm giving it all of my information, or not all of, I'm giving it quite a bit of information about me, you know, my name, uh, where I live, you know, even just passwords and my email address, right? Uh, and I have to trust that they're not just gonna give that away to other people. And then there's just the, the psychographic demographic data as I'm using Facebook, they acquire all sorts of information about me. Uh, and it's all on, you know, their servers that they control um, so if they're hacked or if they decide to distribute it, you don't have any power, you don't have any ownership. Exactly, exactly. So they own my data. What's another point of failure or an example of where a third part, trusted third party maybe can't be so trusted or it's maybe not best uh, to have to rely on that trusted third party? Yeah, good question, Paul. Uh, so. This is one of those where I wouldn't have thought that it was broken until I heard about uh, you know, a different way of doing it. But um, the fact that, that our government can just print more money. Um, you know, in the 1970s when Nixon you know, took away uh, the, the, the link between gold and um, the current, you know, in our currency, um, it meant that they could just print as much money as they wanted to 
Um, and there, there was nothing holding back the government from doing that, right? Well, uh, in America, that, that's worked out pretty well for us, right? We have maybe around 2% inflation, and that's just kind of a given, right? Um, even though at the end of 10 years, your money is only worth half as much that it was at the beginning, right? That, that's pretty crazy. Well, who gets that additional money? Well, it's the government. Like the, the, the person that gets to print additional money before it's devalued uh, is the government. So they're just getting, they're basically just getting free money. So an example of that happening and just going awry would be in Venezuela, where the government's just willy-nilly printing money all over the place and creating hyperinflation. And I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much because I, I'm not a, um, you know, I'm thinking like graphs and charts economist. Uh, I'm not an economist, but I can see that the end result is that it's making their, their citizens poor. Their citizens have to carry buckets and wheelbarrows of money. And the very next day, it's worth less. Every day, it's worth a demonstrable less uh, amount of money. And so for us, it's like, well, how do you fix that? You know, how do you go from centralized, trusted third party to a decentralized, trustless system? Uh, whether it be with, with uh, a monetary policy or a uh, monetary asset or whether it be a social network that's decentralized. And while we say um, there isn't just black and white, there's a whole spectrum of, of centralization to decentralize, we've kind of pulled out, okay, what are those aspects of new technology, of blockchain technology that can move us in a future, move us in a direction of being more decentralized? And what's the first uh, aspect that we've come up with that we want to introduce that makes a project decentralized? Yeah. Uh, so it'd be the development of it, right? It'd be uh, who is contributing to um, the, the underlying infrastructure of that, uh, in this case, it'd be currency, right? Uh, so for, for these crypto projects, uh, you know, there are other projects that are doing like really cool stuff uh, around governance, around, you know, identity. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for ease of use, uh, you know, I, I think of Bitcoin as the, the, the main one. And so, who created it? Was it one individual person? And then once it was enacted, you know, who is able to then add on to it and to uh, change and, and shape it? And so, sure, Bitcoin actually did have one person, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, who we don't know who this person is, um, but they open sourced it. So they allowed anybody else to contribute to it and quite a few other cryptographers and programmers jumped on board and started fixing because you know Satoshi isn't God. Like he did make some mistakes initially. Like even in the very early days. Don't say that. Say it ain't so. Oh, sorry, sorry, Paul. Didn't mean to tread on tread on your Bitcoin religion. Uh, but yeah, you know. So the uh, the 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 Bitcoin white paper is brilliant. It is really good. It's pulling together a lot of technologies that existed beforehand, like cryptography. Um, you know, open source models um, and bringing all of those things together, you know, digital cash, you know, digital cash existed before Bitcoin. Um, so it brought all those things together, um, but he open sourced it and, and he, she, they allowed it to um, 
to improve through this open source, which allows anybody to fork it. It, it doesn't restrict the ownership. So, right, unlike a trusted third party like Facebook, can I go create my own Facebook node and, and have the, the, the Chris book, right? Where you go, hey, join Chris book and, you know. Uh, yeah, so it really puts the, the power, uh, one, some could still say it puts the power in, in a multitude of developers, but again, you could, if you don't agree with, with the direction the project's going, and you're not, and you want to contribute to a different project. Again, it's open source. You can take it in a different direction, which has yeah. been uh, taking place. Um, and you make a good point too that is a continuum, not just of where it's at today, but where is it going in the future? Is it designed to? Um, perhaps it is going. A lot of these, of course, are going to be launched by a small team. But is that small team controlling the commits, or is that small team opening it up? allowing it for review, allowing it to have other developers come on and, and, and really if you're going to invest or if you're going to use this project, is it controlled by a small development team or is it opened up worldwide to the community, becoming as decentralized as, as possible. So we had the, the software development that, that can be decentralized, decentralized, to be distributed. What, what else lends itself to being on that spectrum of centralized versus decentralized? Yeah, good question. So it, it's the consensus model. And uh, so there, there are many projects out there, some of them cryptocurrencies, some of them like governance models, you know, uh, so like Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, all sorts of others. And um, many of them share Bitcoin's consensus model, and then others are using slightly different ones. But uh, there's this aspect of how many people are getting to record the transactions, right? When you have a trusted third party, it's that one trusted third party that's recording the transaction, right? So like when I deposit my funds in the bank, you know, in an ATM, that ATM is communicating with Wells Fargo server and that server says, yep, Christopher deposited that money. But then that's one place where a hacker can hack that and, and change the funds, right? or change the, the dollar amounts or, you know, uh, if you saw um, uh, Office Space, you know, where they go in and they, they change the code, right? And they just round up the last decimal place, right? Well, that's because they could go into one server and change it. And now, you know, this, this record is changed. So if you were to put it one way, what does it mean to reach consensus? Yeah. So it's... Uh, recording transactions on what's called a ledger. So a ledger would just be like, you could think of it as a piece of paper of like, where is that recorded? You know, oh, you know, uh, Paul gave Chris $10, right? So that's the ledger is just a, you know, it could even be a sticky note saying that. Um, in these cryptocurrency projects, that's distributed. So the ledger is shared across, you know, in some instances, thousands of computers are all, uh, putting that information on there. So like when a transaction happens, it actually gets distributed right away to a few what are called nodes very close by. And then within a matter of seconds, it starts going out to every other node and is recorded on thousands of computers um, over a very short period of time. Whereas, you know, with Wells Fargo, it's only that, that one central bank or maybe, you know, a few branches all share ledgers and then they Every night they, they say, okay, where do the funds go? And they kind of match up. And in a future episode, we'll dive into more about how 
the consensus models choose who gets to record and, and who gets to validate and how many people are actually validating, which again brings a spectrum of centralized versus decentralized. Exactly. What's the last kind of element that we're looking at when it comes to looking at a project? If it's centralized, is it decentralized, and where does it fit in, in between? Yeah, and, and this relates back to the development because those people that were initially developing the software, uh, you know, once the project launches, they become just a part of all the stakeholders. So it would be the stakeholders is, you know, another aspect. Um, so you'll see often with a lot of these projects, you know, the, the people that first wrote the code that were launching it, um, they might allocate a certain amount of tokens, you know, or a certain amount of that currency to themselves for developing it. Um, and for uh, what we think of as highly centralized projects, even though they're doing on this shared ledger, they're doing a lot of things decentralized, they might allocate you know, 80% or 90% of the, the tokens that are out there to themselves, right? And so I would then say, well, that's not very decentralized because they're the stakeholders. They're gonna control the direction of that project. They're gonna have a massive amount of influence in where it goes and the decisions that happen because they have a stake in it. Um, and so that is one aspect of decentralization is how many stakeholders are out there? And you could, you could think of that in, in several different ways, like who are the validators are a stakeholder. So validators would be people that are recording those transactions. So you, you could also say miners in some of the, the consensus models. There's also the, hold, the holders, right? Just who has that currency? Um, and then there's that, what I was just talking about, that token distribution. So in the initial inception of, of the currency, where are those funds going initially? And obviously all these three aspects start to interlap. Um, the development, the consensus model, and the stakeholders. But we want to kind of give these three as when you evaluate a project, as you think about yourself, about uh, whether it be from an investment purpose or be from a technical perspective or you're developing your own project, what are kind of the three things that go into, hey, is this project truly decentralized, decentralized, or is it the same old, same old, where it's one server, one controlling party, one team developing it? And so as we continue on, we're always talking about, for us, the value is on decentralized, that the, the future, the promise of crypto is the ability to successfully create and run and develop decentralized projects. That's where we stand. And so you always see us push for, hey, is this decentralized or not? But recognize that these are the three aspects that we're always gonna be looking at. And we hope that, that you do too. And part of why that is, is because that's the benefit of this cryptocurrency, right? So if, if you have a cryptocurrency, but it's highly centralized, um, you're taking away the, the core benefit. Um, if you wanted a cryptocurrency that was centralized, you might actually be better off just getting an Amazon Web Server, AWS server, right? Because uh, that's gonna be much faster than a crypto project. Um, and so, uh, you know, when you take away the core benefit of a cryptocurrency, there's existing solutions that are better, you know? So join us next time? Absolutely. All right, see you, Chris. See you, Paul.